Hey, everyone, I want to tell you about an incredible company called Air Doctor Pro. You can go to airdoctorpro.com, use the promo code Fasting for Life to receive up to $300 off one of their amazing air filters. Um, by supporting them, you're supporting us and the show. I want to tell you an incredible testimony. We now know that the indoor air is two to five, sometimes up to a hundred times more polluted um, than the outdoor air, according to the EPA. And my son has been struggling with sleep. He hasn't slept. He's over two years old. He hadn't slept through the night his entire life. My wife and I had done everything. We could not figure it out. We put an Air Doctor Pro in his room, and I am not kidding. The first night he slept through the night, up he went over 30 nights in a row for the first time ever, sleeping through the night. We don't know what it did or what was in the air because we've had our house tested but whatever it's doing is allowing him to rest and sleep peacefully for the first time. And for that, it is absolutely priceless. Air Doctor Pro comes with 30-day Breathe Easy money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund. Minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com. Use the promo code FASTINGFORLIFE to receive up to $300 off any of their air purifiers exclusive to podcast customers. You'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock in the special offer by going to airdoctorpro.com. Use the promo code Fasting for Life. Hello, I'm Dr. Scott Wadier. And I'm Tommy Welling, and you're listening to the Fasting for Life podcast. This podcast is about using fasting as a tool to regain your health, achieve ultimate wellness, and live the life you truly deserve. Each episode is a short conversation on a single topic with immediate actionable steps. We cover everything from fat loss and health and wellness to the science of lifestyle design. We started Fasting for Life because of how fasting has transformed our lives, and we hope to share the tools that we have learned along the way. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Fasting for Life podcast. My name is Dr. Scott Wadier, and I'm here, as always, with my good friend and colleague, Tommy Welling. Good afternoon to you, sir. Hey, Scott. How are you? Doing fantastic, my friend. Ready to break down... The ketone conversation, get into how to test, why to test, what's a ketone, et cetera. Uh, mm. And it comes from a really great question that was posed from one of our continuity members. So we're going to get into that in just a second. I wanted to welcome um, everyone into today's episode. And if you're new to the podcast, please, Tommy and I would love you to go back and listen to the first couple of episodes of how yeah. we ended up here in episode, I don't know what episode this is, 120-ish, <laughs> somewhere in that range. And it's been a heck of a journey, but we want to welcome you in. Uh, go back, hear a little bit more about our story, how we ended up here, and and why, more importantly, we are on this journey with you. So if you've been a long-time listener, uh, appreciate you being a part of the Fasting for Life fam, and would love to have you drop a five-star review for us. Um, those are our favorite kind, of course. Right. And uh, luckily, we have many of those in in our, you know, in our repertoire here on pod, uh, Apple Podcasts. But the reason we ask for that is that tells the podcast gods, which um, I don't know what really that means, but we record, <laughs> we put out value, we put out content, and we zoom it over to the platforms. And that tells Apple and Spotify and wherever you listen to your podcasts that we are delivering value um, to mm -hmm. you, the listener. So would appreciate if you guys would do that as well, Tommy. But as we hop into uh, today's conversation, uh, I'll start with just the question itself. And it was it came from a really a place of of confusion or just a lack of understanding. 
Mm-hmm. And I know that speaks to our journey with trying to figure out how to get our health back and lose the weight and re- lower the blood pressure and reverse the prediabetes and all of those different types of things. But the question was really great because it came from a place of, hey, I have this new fun thing and it's a keto mojo. And uh, we'll put a link in the show notes where we have partnered with them for uh, an additional discount code for one of the large, like the starter packs where you get all the test kits and the fancy new Bluetooth app. And I don't even have that. I have the old one. It's so cool. Um, Yeah. So I'm still living in the dark ages, but um, (laughs) you know, a lot of people, as they start to get more into the fasting lifestyle and adapting that concept of, I want this to be the last time that I lose the weight. You know, you need more tools. The the beginner tools that you start with on a fasting journey are much different than the advanced tools and the maintenance tools. And yeah. the Keto Mojo has been a key component for a lot of people. And we don't promote it. We don't mention it. We don't, you know, people that do the challenges, you don't have to have it. Uh, but it is something uh, that can be a powerful tool. But Tommy, as you say, can also yeah. be a detriment. Yeah, good point. I, I think I think it was probably maybe like a year and a half or so into my fasting journey uh, when I finally uh, got one, and it, it's it's really cool. Oh, because, I remember that. Yeah, because yeah, you, yeah, you, you you get a level of data that that you just can't get any other way besides actually looking at what's in your blood, and um, you know, like for me personally, I didn't really want to like do a finger prick. Uh, that's just not something I'm used to. Um, I was a little bit like hesitant you know, to need to do that. Um, myself personally, I, I know a few of our challengers have been, um, too. So that's, that's, you know, one thing that, Hey, it just, just took a few times of doing it. It's really no big deal. But I, I thought the, the interesting thing was that I, w- I started to get this really interesting data, but I wasn't quite sure what to do with it. And I've, I've studied human physiology and uh, like for, for many, many hours. And, it still wasn't just intuitive on like, when should I test? What should I be looking for? Are higher numbers always better? Is there like a holy grail of of like gold standard numbers that I'm looking for here? How do I know if I'm on the right track? I mean, it just it just kind of uncovered um, almost like a Pandora's box of of new questions and uncertainty. And so what what I hate to see happen is I hate to hear from someone who says, yeah, I've been testing and I'm not really sure if I'm if I'm doing it right or maybe I'm doing something wrong with my fasting. I'm really not sure. So um, a little bit of confidence and understanding of some of these things and what what um, what you might be seeing on your Keto Mojo and when to test can go a long way towards actually furthering or accelerating you on your fasting journey rather than bringing in those those like seeds of doubt that can be um, frustrating or get us off track, right? Yeah, before I read it, uh, the question that came in, that happened to me when, you know, uh, one of the most downloaded episodes we have is you putting me on the therapy couch, as we like to joke, <laughs> and asking me a bunch of questions about, you know, losing the 48, we say 50 pounds in 50 days, but it was 48 pounds in 50 days and keeping 45 plus of that off for the last two plus years now. Right. You know, you you asked me a bunch of questions about that fasting journey during those 50 days. And, you know, after I started getting a few reps under my belt and doing some OMADs, some one meal a days and 24 hour fast and pushed to 30 and 36 and read all Dr. Fung's books and you know, you were coaching me through because you had been, you were six months ahead of the fasting journey that I was at that point. And I just remember, you know, I was like, all right, well, man, let's see how fast I can get to 50. Right. So I'm like, let's do a five day fast. And right. I remember <laughs> breaking out the keto mojo and I almost, you know, made fun of you earlier. I'll mention it here is you were like, <laughs> oh, the finger prick. I'm like, weren't you pre-med? 
right? At some point, I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. You're worried about finger prick? Anyway. Right. Hey, um, it's those little things sometimes that like keep us from getting to the next level, it, right? True. Yeah, Full true. transparency. It's, yeah. There are mornings like when I will do bouts of testing now, we'll talk about when to test and how to test and how to use it. But yeah, um, there's still times where like if my hands are cold. Like I'm right. I just uh, like it, it doesn't even hurt. It's just the thought of it hurting. So I totally get you. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I had to get that little dig in there. So oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, so going back to the five day fast and I was like on day three and I was just feeling like, ugh, like hmm. I was in a deep level of ketosis. Yeah. I thought. Because if I look at, and we'll go over the numbers here, if I look at like therapeutic ketosis and higher level of ketones, you sometimes you can kind of get like this, um, the opposite of the euphoric feeling of fasting. And you kind of get like this sluggish kind of low energy, like you just want to take a nap. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm on day three. I should be feeling great. Um, <laughs> it, was just, it was actually, excuse me, it was between the 66 and the 72 hour mark. Okay. Um, yep. It was right before I got to day three and I took the the reading and I was like, point four, I'm not <laughs> even in low level ketosis. What Where the heck? Ketones? Yeah. Yeah. And I checked my blood sugar and it was like 105 and I'm like, huh? I'm like I'm two and at 60 something hours into a fast. I'm like, what is going on? Right. right. So yeah, we're going to unpack that scenario through the question that came in um, and give you direct like direct action steps on what you can do if you have a keto mojo or if you're like, what the heck is a keto mojo? Just go to uh, the website and check it out to it is keto mojo.com. And they've got tons of articles, tons of resources. And if you end up getting one, please take the additional discount um, mm -hmm. that we have in the show notes. They've been an incredible partner, super supportive. If you have questions like their, their customer yeah. support's incredible. People have had issues with the the units. They the, they just they replace it. They they fix the shipping. Like they've just been really responsive, yeah. and we've had a great experience with them. So cool recipes too. They have a lot of good recipe yeah. recommendations and things like that. Like a lot of support, like to to support yeah. your ketosis, ketosis your, for beginners, yeah. all that right. kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's cool stuff. They put a yeah. Lot of time so into so with that, the question for uh, that came in was just started using a keto mojo and never really had any idea about what my glucose levels were. Now I'm using it for about three weeks, trying to understand the higher numbers I'm seeing when on a longer fast, 30 plus hours, even when doing a good hour fat burn workout. So we just have two things that just popped up right there mm -hmm. in that first question or in that first sentence. Um, and I love this part because this was me. That's why I told that story. Just don't have brain understanding why I get higher numbers <laughs> during that scenario. Right. And you can just feel the angst of like, ugh. Um, and it seems that 10.30 a.m. I get a constant, consistently high number no matter what. So is this just my body cycle or what? Thanks for your response. And, you know, you and I went back and forth about really how to answer this question. And both of us went directly to, well, here's the chart. Let's go over this. But I want to kind of zoom out for a second and really talk about the fact that he he really answered his own question in here which is the the, air, the quotes body cycle, it really yeah. is part of your endo, endocrine circadian rhythm, which is the hormonal rhythm um, that includes growth hormone, thyroid stimulating hormone, prolactin, ren, renin-angiotensin, aldosterone system, mm -hmm. fibroblast growth system factors. You know, you've got leptin, vasopressin, melatonin, cortisol, insulin, and all of these things cycle throughout the day based on your circadian rhythm. 
And one of the things here that is interesting to see is, especially if you're in the pre-diabetic or diabetic world and you're testing your blood sugar, you might have heard of something called the dawn phenomenon, where your numbers are higher in the morning. Well, physiologically speaking, you know, as we go throughout the day, insulin should continue to decrease. And as we sleep, then things start to awake as we go through our normal body cycle, as he called it, or circadian rhythm. Mm -hmm. And as we get to the waking hours of between, you know, six and eight or seven and eight a.m., your body goes into wake up mode. So it really is going to uh, raise cortisol levels, which is going to be kind of like your body's natural alarm clock. Right. Yeah. Noradrenaline. It's waking you up. Yeah. And it's putting blood sugar into the bloodstream for your body to start doing those normal waking up type activities. Yes. And that's exactly why if, if you've, if you, like, like for me, I, I didn't, I didn't feel those for a long time. I didn't feel those like natural, that, that natural push to, to wake up in the morning because insulin level and blood sugar was so high as I went to bed that I didn't, I didn't give it enough of a chance. Cause I, I, I tended to eat really late at night and raise those, those levels. So I didn't get the correct amount of time and I was short on sleep too. So I didn't yep. get I was hitting it from both sides and I didn't get the correct balancing time. So I didn't get that that surge in the morning that's meant to to literally like drive you into wake up mode where uh, that's where if you've ever like overslept past your either your alarm clock or your natural circadian rhythm going, yeah, let me just get a little bit more sleep, right? I'll feel that much more rested. And then you wake up like an hour later, but it feels like oh man, like now I really need some more sleep. Yeah, you just slept off that natural wake up, your cortisol level and blood sugar, those all came down that were meant to drive you up and at them, you know, for the day. Yeah, and that's why I love the question. It was like, man, every day I just seem to have higher numbers, right? And yes, right. I mean, that's part of the natural process. So yes. if you are, and this is where it's gonna transition into the conversation about ketosis, what it is, um, what are ketones? Are you are you in a fat adapted state? Ketoacidosis, which is not what we're going to be talking about, because that is a a dangerous physiological event that takes place most commonly when you have a lack of insulin. So a type one diabetic, it can happen in type two, but it's much more rare, mm-hmm. and especially in the terms of like you have you have uh, insulin producing or or uh, tumors in the pancreas that don't allow your body to produce insulin. So we're mm-hmm. talking about rare situations. Ketosis is not ketoacidosis. Ketosis is a actually a healthy state where our body is producing ketones from our stored fat. So anybody listening, uh, give us you know give us a fist pump, raise your hand, give us an amen, shout out, right? Beep the horn. Well, maybe not if you're in traffic. Like yeah, who wants bur- more fat burning, right? So right. the 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 uh, distinction here is when we were talking about burning glucose or sugar as an energy supply versus ketones. And glucose is what our body turns our food into, right? And then Mm -hmm. from there, our body is either going to burn it off, it's going to store it in smooth muscle, or it's going to send it to the liver uh, to be stored as glycogen, right? Now, Mm -hmm. after a while, you then start to, if those areas are full and you have insulin being high in this constant state of food or energy in the body, it's going to start storing those as fat and increasing those visceral fat and subcutaneous fat numbers, you know, like we talked about a few episodes ago. So mm-hmm. when we're talking about ketosis and ketones, when you get the monitor and you start testing, it's like, all right, well, I've got my blood sugar number 
what sh- what should that be? I've got my ketone number. Yeah. What should that be? I'm feeling one way and the scale's doing this other thing and I'm fasting <laughs> over here and it's like, oh, am man. I really simplifying the process here? Like what's yeah. going on? Yeah, good point. Um, a lot of arrows moving in potentially different directions. So we kind of have to take them, you know, one piece of the puzzle at a time. So that's why I, I feel like that summary that you gave on blood sugar and and the circadian rhythm is really important as as kind of a standalone just by itself, because you could literally use a keto mojo or any any other um, device and just look at blood sugar and how you're you're responding to certain meals that you eat and start understanding when you feel a certain way is your, does your blood sugar tend to be a little higher or a little lower and and what what is happening throughout the day so that that's an interesting um, level of insight to get just on its own before we even have the ketone conversation um, because the interesting thing is there is a bit of an inverse correlation between blood sugar and ketones when 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 our ketones start to rise because we start to burn more fat, we start to make that transition into ketosis and fat burning. Blood sugar tends to be slowly dropping during that time, but but not indefinitely, right? Like um, there's always gonna be a, a floor that the body's gonna put in. It's not gonna let blood sugar get, get you know, beyond a certain point, um, beyond a certain low. But at, at the same time, depending on how insulin resistant you are, the ceiling could be fairly high. So blood sugar could rise um, especially after eating or or during the earlier part of the day. And that's not always, so it's not always a, a direct correlation. A little bit up on ketones means a little bit down on blood sugar. So there can be some, some mixed results there too. And I, so I think as we start to think about the ketone situation, um, as we as we were looking at this infograph um, from Keto Mojo, and w- as we start to look at the nutritional ketosis, it, it really shows that the ketone levels that we're looking for really kind of start at that fat burning range at about 0.5 and moderate ketosis being at, you know, one to 1.5. So I I think having that number in the back of my mind, when I start to go um, actually do testing, I start to look at that going, as I get into deeper fat burning, I'm going to want to stay within kind of that range. That's going to be a good range to signal to me that I'm becoming fat adapted, I'm burning through these fat stores, and it'll be interesting to see what my blood sugar does throughout the day and and just kind of be observational about it. It's gonna take a little bit of time to to start to see and notice trends throughout the day, right? You said something there about the inverse relationship. Now Mm -hmm. that is a normal situation. Yeah. That doesn't always happen. And to, to, and you explain some of the key, the ketone numbers, but a lot of pe- some people don't even know, you know, if you're not a diabetic, you don't, probably aren't testing your blood sugar. The problem sure. is, is that these numbers are rising and then you go and get a fasted blood sugar test. And we, we, we talked about, you know, the, the differences and the changes that we think in, in looking at fasted blood sugar versus non-fasted blood sugar and insulin tests and, mm-hmm. um, uh, insulin, um, you know, the timed insulin test, which is, is really the most accurate which takes two to three hours and most doctors don't order it. So now we're getting up in the air here and I want to sure. land the plane with just the basics of bl- normal blood sugar numbers to go alongside of you explaining the normal ketone numbers. So normal blood sugar numbers in, if you just go, go to Dr. Google, as we like to say, <laughs> and you put them in, you're going to see 80 to hundred is normal 
and then 100. Now, this is in a fasted state. So you wake up in the morning, what should your numbers be? 80 to 100, 100 to 124 or 25, however you want to split the split the baby there on the on the on the range mm-hmm. is going to be pre-diabetic. And then 126 plus 125 or 126 and above is going to be um, diabetic. OK, so mm-hmm. one of the interesting things that we see with a lot of people that start doing this and getting into, like you said, Tommy, those moderate ketone zones for the 1.5, even up to the 2.0 which yeah. we've seen personally for some optimal fat loss because mm-hmm. ketones are indeed a, a, a ketone body is formed from the breakdown of the fat that breaks down into fatty acids that mm-hmm. then produces the ketone as an alternate preferred energy source than glucose, which is the constant need to consume, right? Yeah, right. So normal blood sugar in for me, when I'm doing longer fast or, you know, when I was in my fat loss mode, mm-hmm. you know, I would see numbers that were that were well below 80. And that is one of those misconceptions that you alluded to in the beginning where yeah. it's like, oh, no, is my blood sugar too low? Right. And the reassurance here is obviously if you have a concern, speak with your doctor. But if you're on blood sugar lowering medications or blood sugar altering medications as a diabetic, then yeah. those that can actually force your blood sugar too low. But your body has, you know, has has mechanisms, uh, mechanisms and alerts mm-hmm. placed in to not allow that to happen. The only time that typically happens is when you have a chemical induction from a medication. So right. we could see those numbers dip below 80. And typically I like to see that. But the reality is, is that if you just started testing and you just started your fat loss journey and you want fasting to be the answer for the long term result, you're yeah. probably not going to see the ideal situation of like this question that came in, I wake up in the morning, my blood sugar is high, my ketones are low. What the heck? Well, in that one instance, that could be normal. Hmm. And we'll get into the when to test and how to kind of use the machine, Tommy, because the keto mojo can be powerful, but it also can be expensive, right? So if you're doing multiple tests a day, then the ketone strips are actually more, way more expensive than the glucose strips. And that's why we encourage you to get the big bundle with the discount because then you get like 50 or 60 strips to start with and that's going to last you a while. Hey, Fasting Fam, want to let you know about an incredible company that we've partnered with, AquaTrue.com, promo code fasting for life to receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. These are not your old school um, pitcher filters or your refrigerator filters. We're talking about a proprietary four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. Their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing, which if you've priced those whole home water filtration systems, you know exactly what I'm talking about. These incredible countertop versions, they do have one under sink mounting model as well, but they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters, like I mentioned, and they're specifically designed to combat this new group of chemicals that the Environmental Working Group has done a deep dive on, these forever chemicals called PFAS or PFASs. These are in 45% of our U.S. tap water, 45%. These things can lead to endocrine system disruption, certain types of cancers, liver toxicity. And I'm so glad that there's now a countertop affordable version of this incredible technology. So as we fast, we know that water outside of a little black coffee and tea is the only thing that we drink. So if we're trying to get the biggest bang for our buck, we're trying to increase autophagy and allow our bodies to heal, shed the weight, get healthy, reverse disease, then why not give it the absolute best quality water that you can? So AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. It even makes a great gift, like I mentioned, my aunt and uncle. 
Um, today, as one of our loyal listeners, if you support them, you're supporting us, you're going to get 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code fasting for life. F-A-S-T-I-N-G-F-O-R-L-I-F-E. That's 20% off any of the AquaTrue water purifiers at AquaTrue.com. Yeah, it's going to take a little bit of time, like I alluded to earlier, to um, to start to see the trends in the in the data and start to get comfortable with testing and when you're going to be testing. But I, I do like this infographic they have, and it's about when to test. And you know, the 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 first recommendation in there is in the morning while fasted, so that you do get that that fasted blood sugar um, number that is so important to know. Like, uh, okay, so now I haven't done anything. I've been sleeping, resting, insulin, blood sugar have been coming down. Now I'm ready to go. Okay, so what what do my numbers look like when it's been probably the longest amount of time it will be today without food? And then, and, and taking into account that circadian rhythm uh, factor. And, and the other, the other main times to test would be either uh, like right before, if you're, if you're planning on eating lunch that day, then before eating lunch, and if you're going to be eating dinner that day, then maybe around like late afternoon time, maybe three or four o'clock before eating dinner so that you can, um, you can kind of correlate those with, with how you're feeling with what your blood sugar numbers are doing and with your actual fasting time too. So I actually recommend writing all of those factors down whenever you 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 track it, maybe track it on a spreadsheet or something for a couple of weeks um, so that you can start to, to notice trends in that and put a little like notes column on off to the side to take note of any any ways that you're feeling or how particularly easy or difficult this fast may have been or if cravings kicked up or anything else like that because those can be really good to associate with the data um, because those things, those patterns will start to repeat themselves over time and you can predict around them, plan your fast around them and really start to like level up your results too. So for clarity here, because I see two different scenarios and mm-hmm. if you're new and you're just starting fasting, that's one, but if, if you've been fasting and now you want to incorporate some testing, so wake up, do it in the morning, Right. If your meal that day or if your window that day starts in the morning, make sure it's before your food. And then, like you said, Tommy, before lunch or dinner. But if you're fasting all day and you're 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 not going to be eating on that day, let's say you're doing mm-hmm. a 30 hour fast, right? Yeah. Or a 36 hour fast or a 48 hour fast. I like getting a morning and an evening number because in the morning is going to be your fast, your, 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 your benchmark, right. Of like what you're waking up with and how your circadian rhythm is, is working. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. why I love the question that came in, but then in the evening, insulin should be at its lowest. So having those bookends over the course, personally, I like to do about seven, sometimes 10 days when I was doing this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just did a, about here recently, because I'm working on the last few pounds of visceral fat, which is the motivation to do that episode that we did. Nice. Um, And I know you had some body testing done as well. And we're going to share all Mm -hmm. this stuff in the future conversations and episodes. Like we said, we'd like to be on this journey with you as we level up and figure out how to best, uh, you know, get the weight off, keep it off. Yeah. And increase that, you know, that uh, longevity and quality of life. So when you're looking at the testing, seven to 10 days for me, and then do a consistent fasting schedule for 30 days and then do another seven to 10 days. Mm -hmm. And you should see the difference between those numbers, right? It's just like going to get blood work and then going back and redoing the blood work 30, 60, 90, 
six months, a year later for a yearly physical, right? Yeah. So it's going to give you some idea of which direction you're trending and is the fasting protocol you're using working. So if you're like, what's a fasting protocol? The easiest one we recommend if you've been doing intermittent fasting, which is 16-8, meaning you have an eight-hour nutrition window. We like to call it a nutrition window, focusing on good quality, nutrient-dense foods mm-hmm. um, versus 16 hours of fasting. If, you, if you've gone to the OMAD, one meal of day, maybe a one to two-hour window, with getting your sustenance in for that day, your nutrient, you know, your nutrition window there. Um, sure. You can go to the website, thefastingforlife.com. You can go to the resources tab and get the fast start guide, which is that one meal a day plan. Yeah. So that's really like, there is another thing you can do with testing too, Tommy, is you can test for food sensitivities, but I don't really want to get into that much. You can just go to the website on ketomojo.com and check that mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Um, Cause that's going to be doing before eating and then testing after your meals. And I did some of that to figure out like, how did stevia affect me? How did coffee affect me? How did, you know, certain foods, those types of things where I noticed to your point of journaling and tracking and being like, I just didn't feel great after that meal. Right. Like, well, let me, let me see what's physiologically happening. I thought I was going to be, you know, you know, uh, in the home stretch on day (laughs) approaching day three of that five day fast. And I was in the dumps feeling like crap. I'm like, what is happening? Right. So there's a lot of nuance here, but I love that basics of testing in the morning before a meal or in the evening. Well, yeah. So, okay. You, you, I remember something that, that you used to do. You used to tell me that the, your, the, the afternoon, like, like maybe around what, two o'clock or so was like your, your toughest time. Like if if you were going to be fasting, that was just there. It was full of like, uh, environment context and just reminders like lunchtime, like, oh man, like that, that's a tough time for you. Right. To fast through. Yeah, it was also, so for me, it was sleep, stress, and insulin resistance, right? So that time of day, typically on a normal circadian rhythm, your cortisol is going to spike between 12 and 3, 3 o'clock, right? Somewhere in that Mm -hmm. range. So I would also get that additional stress response, right? Which would would make it my hardest time because then I would go, my cravings would kick up, my fatigue would kick up, my brain fog would kick up, and really the hydration... And coffee would actually make it worse in the afternoon. So I was doing double quad shot Americanos for a while, you know, burning the candle at both ends, not sleeping, getting my workout, my rowing workouts in, seeing patients 40 to 50 hours a week, right? Like, yeah. yeah, So that point, that part of the afternoon was for me too. So you may see some higher readings there as well. And that just is indicative of insulin resistance and uh, a, a non-properly functioning circadian rhythm or cortisol uh, cycle. Yeah. So, so what that reminded me of too was the fact that that was a great time for me to actually test my my blood sugar and my ketones because that was kind of a cool thing to have. Um, so, if I wasn't going to be eating lunch on that given day, um, it was kind of a get away from what I'm doing, have something that's going off still like, um, like an alarm that's going to go off every single day. And I'm going to go, um, you know, go to the other room, get my keto mojo and actually take a measurement, you know, at that point, like, uh, during the tougher time or the, the time when maybe I, I have strong context clues to be eating, but I'm, I'm, I'm fasting through that time right now. So let me go just take my numbers and, um, and correlate them, uh, that way. And so that became like a cool little non eating, like fasting ritual for me to do, you know, after I got my keto mojo. So I think that's, 
that's good. So if you have a really tough time and maybe it's during dinner, like, hey, I'm, I, I really want to, you know, skip dinner tonight, but the family's eating or um, I, I'm, I'm really tempted to, to, to eat when I, I had planned not to um, go take your numbers and go like remove yourself from the situation there, change the context, change the environment and go do something else and take your mind off of it. And then when you come back, you're probably not going to still feel that that strong push um, to eat. But instead, you've got some new data that could actually, um, you know, kind of get you to the next level there, too. So tipping the scales in your favor right there. I remiss to say that I forgot to unpack why we recommend a Keto Mojo and what the difference is between. <laughs> I can't believe we didn't we're supposed to put this at the beginning of the episode. So apologies <laughs> for kind of it being in arrears here. But why Keto Mojo? What we we I decided to use it. You decided to get it. Why we recommend mm-hmm. it. And we don't recommend uh, the other two types of of testing, which is the urine strips or those breath meters, right? Yeah. Right. So why do we recommend testing for ketones in the bloodstream? And then I want to wrap up the the conversation today, Tommy, with kind of future pacing this concept of and you don't have to be doing keto, um, the keto diet or the keto lifestyle to be able right. to get into ketosis. Fasting Great will point. get you into ketosis without having to do keto. Okay. So I just want to get that disclaimer out there because what I was about to say was the concept of the fat adaption or fat adapted state, which is Mm -hmm. the metabolic state where your body is efficiently burning fats from food and stored body fat. And you're not constantly transitioning in and out of ketosis, which is where we see headaches, brain fog, fatigue, digestive changes, frustration, Mm -hmm. angst, little jittery, like, ah, type feeling, wired and tired, sleep disturbances, all of that stuff. So before we go to the future pacing, fat adapted state of, you know, decreased hunger, more energy, balanced hormones, weight loss, better exercise, all that stuff, is why do we recommend and why do we use ketone readings, blood ketone readings? And it comes down to the fact that there is a Uh, you know, a three-step process or three types of ketone bodies that are produced. And you really need to know kind of what they measure and why. So I just want to, you know, kind of lay this out here, Tommy, then have you take it into the conversation of uh, future pacing, the idea and the concept of why we want to test long-term with this stuff or test for a few days, fast, you know, lose some weight fast, get into a routine, level up your tools, your skills, come back to testing for seven to 10 days, see where you're at, compare, move forward, et cetera. The urine test, right? That we, we get a lot of messages about this. Hey, I've been oh, I'm fasting. Yeah. I'm not in ketosis. Well, you are. So, or, Hey, I, I did the breath meter. My, it, it shows that I'm in like deep therapeutic ketosis, but I'm not losing weight or I feel mm-hmm. tired or insert reason here. The urine test measure acetoacetate. Right. And acetoacetate is a um, byproduct of the breakdown of the fatty acids in the liver. And what your body then does with the acetoacetate, which is a form of ketone, it is going to spill that out into the urine as a waste. So if you're not in the early stages of ketosis, then you're not going to see high levels. Or if you're, excuse me, I said that incorrectly. If you've been fasting and you're into a, it past that introductory stage of transitioning into ketosis, mm-hmm. then you're not going to see the uh, ketone bodies on a urine strip because you don't have the byproduct of the initiation of this process. So mm. you're going to be like, 
ah, I'm, I'm 24 hours in and I got nothing? Well, no, right. the chances are you probably do. The second situation is the breath kits, right? The There's different uh, breath tests, right? So you're breathing out into a machine and it's going to read acetate, which is the simplest keto acid. And this is, it's the least abundant and it's the one that's exhaled through the lungs, again, as a waste product rather than as a fuel source. When we talk about burning ketones instead of glucose, we're then going to be breathing these out or almost like the exhaust ketone. And yeah. it's interesting because we actually lose our fat uh, through our through breathing, through the right. process of burning off that fatty acid, right? So the one we want, which is why we recommend Keto Mojo or a or of the like. For in Canada, there's a company called Foracare. Um, mm -hmm. Outside of those two, we don't. I don't know of. Uh, actually, I think Keto Mojo now ships to like Spain and a couple other uh, European countries as well. Ah, cool. Um, which is cool. But the one we want is the beta hydroxybutyrate, which is the most prevalent and stable ketone body in the blood. And this is the one that's transported to the cells to be used as fuel. And it can and and it can fuel most of the brain's energy needs along with the muscles and, and organs. Because part of the, the pushback that we get out there is that, well, your glucose is the most important fuel for your brain. Yes, it is. But your body can also function in a ketotic state with using ketones as that main energy supply. And typically that's about at that 70% mark. So that is why it's like, yeah, I've got the, the breath monitor, I've got the urine strips, but I'm not seeing it. We really recommend that you're gonna be looking at the beta hydroxybutyrate. It's also why we don't recommend the exogenous ketones. Now exogenous ketones is a whole nother conversation. We're not gonna go down that rabbit hole. But yeah. if you're putting the packet in your water, you're actually shutting down the normal process to get into ketosis, which means you need to continually use them, just like taking a medication for blood pressure. Like you need yeah. to continually use it until you get to the cause or the source. So we want your body to naturally do these things, which is the concept of fat adaption, which is kind of how we want to wrap up today's conversation. Yeah, and, and fat adaption is, is it's such a cool thing, but I, I feel like there's a lot of misunderstanding out there between, oh, am I a sugar burner or am I a fat burner? You are both. It depends on on exactly what you're feeding your body and when you are feeding your body. And Keto Mojo uh, or a device like this, like where, where you're actually measuring ketones and blood sugar can help you understand, you know, not really like moment to moment. It's not a continuous monitor, but hour by hour, day by day, and, and then week by week, as you go through your fasting journey, what, what are you doing and how are you supporting the physiology that helps you get to the results that you're looking for, that, that health status, that, that lack of brain fog, that increased energy, and, and like, you know, turning yourself into a fat burning machine rather than the, the fat storage machine that I was for, for three decades. So, so this is, this is much, much better. And the, the cool thing is it starts to give you a level of insight if you're, if you're paying attention. And, and that's why we're, we're talking about, you know, when is best to, to track and then what to kind of correlate with that. Because as we get into that fat adapted state, we can understand if I go back to one of my previous, like favorite meals from a few years ago, one of my more indulgent meals, one of the ones that, that led me to, to accumulate the fat over time. And I actually take my numbers before and afterwards. I can see what is happening, but I can also I can also tell how I'm feeling too. And so I know that certain things are not conducive to feeling well 
and getting better results. And that's a powerful thing because as I start to correlate those things, it starts to feel a lot less like I need more willpower to do the right thing or to make the right choices. And now all of a sudden, um, it becomes easier to make those choices because I know that they're going to help me feel better and feel the way that I want to feel. And having that level of insight like helped me get there faster. That's the really cool thing about the fat adaption process and then correlating it with numbers that are your true physiology and and going along your fasting journey. So this speaks exactly to the, the second part of the question that we started this conversation with was, we hear a lot, hey, I worked out. Why did my numbers spike? Hey, I went for a walk. I'm a diabetic. Mm. You told me to walk after dinner because it, it blunts the blood, the right. insulin spike. Yeah. But why the heck are my numbers 100 points higher after a walk? Well, you've got some severe insulin resistance. Uh, mm -hmm. Go back and search. If you don't know what insulin resistance is, go back and search for some of the episodes where we talk about it. It's the underlying theme to why fasting has been so uh, in, uh, powerful in our journeys. And it helps you undo that resistance to allow your body to burn through the energy that you consume and get into those stored fats and undo the blood sugar related conditions and all of those things. But the question was, you know, and we get this was, you know, after I work out, my numbers go up and the, that is an absolutely normal physiological response that you have stored short-term stored energy in your smooth muscle. And then also short-term stored energy supplies in, in glycogen in your liver. And when mm -hmm. you uh, expend that energy, then your body is going to need to have more energy, right? Like if you think right. about this from an endurance athlete standpoint, those little those little power pouches or the power packs. When my wife yeah. used to run marathons, she would make her own at home one because she didn't want all the chemicals and flavorings and all that crap in it. Mm -hmm. And this idea of carb loading before long endurance events, et cetera. Well, the interesting thing is, is that when you're fat adapted, there are athletes out there, endurance, like crazy people that I love and respect, <laughs> but it's not for me, um, right. that do hundred milers and all this stuff that do it in a fat adapted state that do mm -hmm. it in, you know, against the grain, against the common uh, theme. And I, I used to have a patient who did a lot of that stuff, multiple Ironmans. He was on the competing for a while, traveled all across the world, wow. did him in Europe, did him in 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 um in in the blue watered areas i don't remember if it was you know the virgin islands or mexico yeah. or whatever but done them all around the world and he he started to to he he said it mess around with or play with ketosis and ketones mm. and he said it took him you know about um about six weeks before he really started to feel the difference and he didn't have the same recovery and i'm speaking outside of my pay grade i'm just I'm, I'm, I'm saying this from a perspective of your body's going to do what it needs to do. And there yeah. is a way when you get it, when you're able to flip the switch from sugar burner to fat burner or get into ketosis more effectively, which is what you mm -hmm. were referencing as you become more consistent with fasting. The idea is, is that, you know, becoming fat adapted will take longer for someone that's insulin resistance, but it really depends on your individual mm -hmm. situation. So knowing how to navigate that, right? And signs yeah. that you're more fat adapted is you have less hunger, you have more energy, and you have uh, better exercise performance or endurance. It doesn't have to be related to the, the situation I just told you about, about the multiple hundred miler guy, right? Right. But just right. in your day-to-day -day performance and your day-to-day -day workouts or your day-to-day -day chasing kids around or grandkids, right? Mm -hmm. You have better performance, better energy and lack of hunger. That's showing us that your body is 
adapting to becoming a ketone burner. And that's right. where the keto mojo and testing comes into play. Yeah, great points, because as you get more efficient as bur at burning through those long term fat stores that you have, your body looks at those fat stores as actual fuel sources. Whereas if you're if you're constantly yeah, feeding not stores the machine, for winter, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. If you're constantly feeding the machine, bringing in new food every three or four hours, then your body's looking for the next sugar hit. And that's why you feel that volatility and that blood sugar, you know, crash. And you can feel the hanger coming on because your body's not looking at the, the long-term fat stores as actual fuel sources. It can't tap into those until it starts to ramp up into ketosis. So that lack of hunger is such a, is such a powerful like sign that, that you're on the right track. And so, um, I, I really, I really love it. And, uh, I like, I like to see the numbers and correlate them with how I feel because as I, as the brain fog lowers, I can see my, my blood sugar just dropping into that like 70, 80 range. And I can see those yeah. ketones coming up from like 0.5 to maybe that 1.0 level. But one other point that I want to make here that, that we hear a lot is, man, I, I really wish my ketone numbers were higher right now. Like they're only at 0.5. They're only at 0.8. We hear that a lot. And I want to encourage. But I've heard they're only at 1.8. And I'm like, <laughs> you are in That's the crazy. money zone. Like you just, right. you walk through the airport, put a, a quarter into the slot machine and you hit the jackpot. Like you're right. good. <laughs> what are you complaining about? Right. So yeah, like uh, that optimal fat burning zone starts at 0.5. But to your point that you made earlier, the higher level of insulin resistance you are, and the more weight that you have to lose, the more time you're going to spend in that 0.5-ish kind of range until you you start to just you know burn through some of that old long-term fat stores. And then you might start to see those ketone levels rise. But as you consistently show up and consistently hit those fasting times and burn through those long-term fat stores, those, those numbers are going to creep up in due time on their own. But trusting the process is a really, really important part of this and not looking for that, that high score. It's not the holy grail of, of, of high ketone numbers here. If, if you're doing the right thing over time, the, the results are going to eventually show up and speak for themselves, even if you're not hitting super high ketone numbers. Yeah. And that, that, that goes, that speaks to the conversation of becoming fat adapted, right? And then the lifestyle yes. that comes with it, the fasting yes. lifestyle that comes with it. So I think we should do a whole different episode on that and kind of go and pull some of the research articles. Cause there's, there's, there's info out there. We've just never really yeah. talked about it in that light. So, um, I absolutely love where that conversation is going. So if you are listening to the episode and you're still with us, right. Or um, you're like, <laughs> man, I've been waiting for this forever. We appreciate right. that. Cause we do get this question very often. Yes. And we haven't talked about it in this light. You can head to the website, thefastingforlife.com, www.thefastingforlife.com. Go to the resources, sign up for our newsletter, come into the fold, become part of the Fasting for Life fam, as we like to affectionately call it. Mm -hmm. um, and Tommy, as we wrap up today's episode, I appreciate the conversation as always. Yeah. And I look forward to continuing the conversation um, with you here in the upcoming episode. So yeah, I appreciate y'all for too. listening. Appreciate the conversation, sir. It's time to end the episode. The dog says it's time to go and we'll talk soon. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. So you've heard today's episode and you may be wondering, where do I start? Head on over to thefastingforlife.com and sign up for our newsletter where you'll receive fasting tips and strategies to maximize results and fit fasting into your day-to-day -day life. 
While you're there, download your free Fast Start Guide to get started today. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to leave us a five-star review, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Fasting for Life.